that's kind of it's kind of a obligation at this point. Every every time there's an accident in a movie, I think Spence has to do it. I have to do yeah, it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, to. I think that's like kind of an obligation. It's a moral. Point. It's like a moral obligation. Yeah. At this point, yeah, you me, for the I audience, think, yeah. Spencer. It's for yeah. the audience. When we recorded Goodfellas, you were like, "Yeah, Spence hit us with the the Joe Pesci clown rant." I was like, "You, I don't have that's a multiple <laughs> rant. I don't have that memorized." Like you just you just you just you just uh, you just rattle off that that first line like you don't. You, don't you should have had it memorized. You say I'm a funny guy. Oh, I amuse you like that. Like, I, like <laughs> yeah, funny like I amuse off. you. Funny, funny how? Funny how? Funny like ha ha? Yeah. Just do God. that. Over he over was over. the guy in Home Alone, and I'll never think that's funny. <laughs> but he was amazing in Home Alone. I know he's so good. He killed but he it. was in he Home Alone. He got the right man for the job. And now he got, right he got and now, fucked up by Kevin McAllister. Yeah, and now he's Peter's grandpa on Peacock. He's that's what? what Joe Pesci said. Joe Pesci is playing Pete Davidson's grandfather in Pete Davidson's Peacock. God, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, bummer. So, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but part of my, like, uh, I don't remember why I wrote it, but Ma- P- Spencer, do you remember the my plan for becoming Pope? Like the Pope? This was the weird thing throughout high school and early college. To be like, I'm going to become the Pope and I'm going to destroy Catholicism from inside out. Wow. Well, not, not yet, from inside out, not from the movie. From the inside. From inside. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta clarify, Spencer. Just because I think it would People be get mixed up. I, I want to like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like Spencer, as the resident Catholic, is that wrong? Is that wrong of me or <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. People get mixed up, Spencer. Okay, seriously, you gotta clarify. Was I mixed up? Is that what happened? Is that what you're laughing at? Oh, uh, uh, have I told you about the thing you told me when we were in high school? We were like, it was a statement that you didn't mean it to sound as mean as it was, but it, like cut me to my core. Did I hurt your feelings? <laughs> I, I, wait, wait, are you serious? What what was, I would argue a horrible, a horrible thing to say to like another person. I don't know if I want like, this on air. Wait, yeah. what is it? I might cut this. But... We were we were on um, we're that we turn right uh, and then you get onto Circle Canyon. So it's yeah, that yeah. right between Rite Aid and the Albertsons parking lots. Yep, right there. You told me you said, you know, if you weren't Christian, we would probably be better friends. <laughs> and, and you didn't say it as a joke. You said it like like your your whole heart was in it. And, and we had, like, just become friends. <laughs> like, I literally, in sophomore year... I was we, definitely joking. There's no way I said that full wholeheartedly. No. You forget how how much conviction you had. <laughs> I was a good actor back then. That's true. Oh, I was a yeah. great actor. Here's the thing. You didn't know what you were saying. Like, you said, I was like, yeah, we'd probably be better friends if you weren't Christian. Man. And we kind of just well, like lost. I, no, I. You know how I know that's not true. That like I, I actually was joking at the time, is because two of my best friends are like at the time even like two of my best friends were Christian and still are, or and even Catholic. Who's the other one? What's his name? Ivan. Ian. Name? Ian and Riley. Oh. Ian, uh, Riley literally has a fucking cross tattooed on his arm. <laughs> Wasn't there like a running joke that uh that you guys you guys said like uh like Riley's Jewish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a fucking classic. That's a that's a that's a certified hood classic. You beat him, right? Come on. 
This was in the the Yaris uh, listening to gold nonstop years. Gold? Uh, remember gold G O L D? Yeah, you played that in the car a lot. Oh, is that uh, the song that me and Ian disagreed uh, that if it was edited or not? Yeah, I I, yeah, that... I was so mad at Ian for thinking that that wasn't edited. Well, he's so very mad at him. wrong. Like, how do you? All right, don't play too much. I gotta fucking bleep that out. Uh, but yes. Um, I do remember that song. I do remember getting into a very heated debate over mm-hmm. if that fucking song was edited. And I, oh God, so I was so mad at Ian. I was so mad at Ian. I don't understand how you could possibly think somebody is singing in that exact yeah, way. You're telling me. Yeah. And this is at the uh, time when I was editing like minimum, yeah. minimum like 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I guess not yet. But still, I don't know. That was more of a junior senior year thing when we were. I was really... gonna say ju- junior year yeah. and definitely senior year. I was probably senior year. I was probably editing like close to thirty hours a week, for sure. Yeah. Maybe more if you count the dailies I did for tutoring. Honestly, damn. We all had part time jobs that we were not paid for. I don't know about um, part time. <laughs> it was full time. But, but we're doing it because we love film. And speaking of loving film. This is a movie that's at the top of so many film lovers' lists, so many directors' lists. Guys, today we're talking Bicycle Thieves, Italian film, 1948. But you know the drill. We can't go into any more details until Dr. Geo hits us with that nitrous gas. Geo, go! Boys, I would love to. Okay, <laughs> bust out the post-war trauma, line up the overwhelming burden of existence, and sprinkle on a healthy layer of marinara sauce, because we're talking Italian neorealism, and there's no better place to start than the masterpiece that is Bicycle Thieves 1948. It's a story of a young Italian handyman, no plumber needed, down on his luck just trying to put pasta on the table for his family. He finally lands a job putting up posters and things are looking up, but luck ain't no lady, and his bike is stolen so him and his son bruno played by the incredible enzo stiolia the totally fucking pushing that <laughs> no that was perfect that was great we're keeping that yeah, that, was the first time I, that was the first time i had said i had said that name okay i'm going back, I'm going back. <laughs> he finally lands a job putting up posters and things are looking up but luck ain't no lady and his bike is stolen so him and his son bruno played by the incredible enzo stiola go on an odyssey to get his bike back but post-war rome is a bitch chews you up and spits you out and our man is no exception by the end not much can be said about antonio and us the audience that has not already been said about afghanistan we look bombed out and depleted 
taking you into the very essence of life as it was during this time. Bicycle Thieves was a landmark of cinema showing how far the art could be pushed and setting the foundation for an explosion of creativity and influence still felt to this day in the likes of Scorsese and De Palma, though with much more cocaine. Don't bother checking the analytics boys on this one because we're definitely scaring the hoes today and I can't wait to break it down the only way we know how, colon deep. Boys, oh, that's beautiful. Ready. What a beautiful ending. Just excellent, Gio. <laughs> just excellent. Oh, God. It. Uh, the, the, okay, I got to read, like, my last note here. Because, like, I, I feel like it sums up how I feel about this movie entirely. It Okay, if I had grown up in the 1950s or 60s, this is, like, the movie that would inspire me. We all, I like, I feel like you know, I feel like we're all like artists and like, we all get inspired by certain like movies and stuff like that and want to like produce our own like stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But I feel Mm -hmm. like if I grew up in the fifties and sixties, I would have looked at this movie and been like, Holy fuck. I want to make something like that. I want to, I want to do something like that. I want to, I want to bring those emotions out in people. I want like, I, I just want people to see something that I made and I want them to feel how, this movie like made me feel it's just it, it's so it, it's so crazy that people were making movies like this in the 19 fucking 40s it's so crazy yeah i think that's what is so impressive about this movie is when you watch it if this movie were not in black and white and you showed it to just a regular person they would have no idea it was shot in 1948 mm-hmm. none whatsoever and that that can't be understated into how incredible of an accomplishment that is. Yeah, you're. You can even argue that they're like seventy years ahead of their time, uh, and it, it's a technical feat that is also like a powerful story, um, and it shows you in Italy that we don't usually see in cinema. It's much grittier, uh, much on the floor. You're not seeing beautiful countryside. You're not seeing rolling hills. You know, it's it's a very different take on saying that we still really haven't seen. I can't think of a gritty Italian movie. I mean, look, I'm not a, a cultivator of Italian cinema. So if I'm you know way off base here, guys, please let me know. But in terms of like what's been like a big mass movie, there has been nothing where Italy is in it. And it's not just glorifying it for being like this beautiful country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You guys get it on the mark. I mean, this, it feels so modern. It, it, it's hard to explain. I, I, I get what you're saying. You're saying Spence. it just feels so modern uh like it almost has to me i almost it almost felt like a documentary like it almost has like a documentary core like it just feels so uh i don't like you said gritty everything plays into it it's the it's the 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 scenery the landscapes the people even the like the actors they're not they're not actors it's just they these are people he like cast people like the the two leads or three leads like i guess technically but they're not actors like the little boy he just found on the street yeah, it was just like a random. This is a random. He like, uh, he like, auditioned five thousand act, like five thousand child actors, and he just found like a boy on the street that just felt right. That's crazy. Yep. It's. I mean, and also we're talking about like, uh, one, like I feel like people don't appreciate how impressive it is to make a timeless movie, right? Like, th- think about mm-hmm. think about any movie from the early two thousands, right? Save for like a, a couple. You watch them and you're immediately like, wow, that looks so fucking old. Wow, this is such like an old concept. It's so, it feels so dated, right? And Mm -hmm. when you watch movies like this, like talking like, uh, like, 
like French New Wave even. Like you could tell how French New Wave was inspired by this type of filmmaking for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And even like even stuff like uh, what was the other movie that we covered for the podcast? Uh, Twelve Angry Men, right? Like yeah. you, you, when you're talking about those movies, it's like you, you again you can you can see it, you can watch it today and it doesn't look dated at all. You understand the messaging entirely. There's no like if ands or buts about it. It's it's just a good fucking movie and you can watch it and appreciate it. It doesn't feel like it's old. And, and then you take a movie from like I, I imagine movies from ten years ago probably like. Uh, like there's plenty of them that probably look dated now and feel dated Mm -hmm. because of like either the subject matter regardless of what it is but it's just such an impressive feat to create a piece of like media especially in like the saturated world that we live in with movies and stuff that can transcend generations over the course of 70 years it's just so impressive it's it it's what i really like loved about this movie and and movies like it you know I've seen plenty of fucking old movies that are boring as shit. Don't get me wrong, but this is not one of mm-hmm. them. It's, it's just great. I, I love it when I'm watching a movie, and you're trying to watch it from like, not that we're like filmmakers, but we 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 study this stuff so much. We're you, you get the feeling of, how did they do that? And so often, like you know the answer. There's there's one shot. I mean, there's many, but the one I really want to call out is a shot from the inside of the car where it's you know passenger driver camera in the back seat and you're seeing mm-hmm. everything going on as usual um uh, outside of the car and it's a shot that would be very like mundane and rudimentary nowadays in fact it would probably how filmmaking is nowadays it would probably be a green screen shot you would just put a of fake car in the room and it would it would not look as good as it did in this movie and so I, I saw that, and my thought was, how did they do that in 1948? H- how? And mm-hmm. there's so many shots like that throughout this movie where we were like, I don't understand how they made this happen, but they did, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, you, yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head there, Spencer. There's stuff in this movie from 70 years ago that I probably could not recreate as well as they did today with all modern technology i mean i'm not like a master filmmaker by any means but like you know we've we've done our fair share of projects and shit i i couldn't i couldn't do half of this stuff as well as they did it back then like yeah i could probably do it but it wouldn't look that good shit and like you're talking to them using like a, a i forget what the camera they use on i looked it up it's like a an old model air airflex i believe uh let me let me see uh-huh. if i can pull this up but i mean those cameras aren't they they aren't like the biggest thing in the world, but they're not small either by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, da, 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 where is it? Yep, Aeroflex two. Um, it's uncredited, so I don't really know what that means. I don't know if maybe they use that for only part of it, and then they have other cameras that potentially, or maybe that's just what they think they used. But yeah, I mean, you're you're talking a camera that's like you know a, a good like forty pounds, and then it's it's rather large and cumbersome. Yeah, I don't know how they got most of the shots. I mean, some of them are just clearly, like, on a track and stuff like that, and, like, where they're looking at the individual pieces of the bike, like, in that in that scene specifically. Um, and they're, they're like, tracking along with... The, they obviously just put it on, like, a railroad track, you know, classic, and then just, like, push it along. 
But I mean, like you said, the car, the scene in the car, I'm like, shit, I thought we were still 20 years from away from, <laughs> from getting those kind of mm-hmm. shots. Yeah. You know, when you could get a, you know, a, uh, what is it? 17 millimeter, a 16 millimeter camera and, and mm-hmm. go in the back of a car and, you know, shoot it because the cameras are small enough. But uh, Hey, I guess if you want to do that with a, with an Airflex 35 millimeter, Hey, I'm not stopping you, but I'm, but I'm not going to try to do that in 1948. Nah, no shot. And uh, what's even more impressive, I think, is that those technical shots, those technical setups, those technical movements all play in so well with the imagery that um, that the director sets up and like the blocking, just like the way everything moves. It plays into that subtext, that like underlying theme of everything. Like I just think of like, I guess, um, jumping around like the visual of like those two kids those two like really early uh in the film when he's like teaching uh teaching him how to put up posters and stuff there's those two kids with the accordion just like random kids like like just in there or whatever just like tiny things and then after he gets his bike stolen right after he's just like walking through the city and you can just feel it's palpable like how almost helpless not only he is but you feel it's like no one cares. Like just that feeling of like this man's life is like depending on that thing, and just it feels like no one cares. Like it, it this, just the feeling of helplessness. Like everything plays into it. Like I, I don't know. I don't. I, I, it left me speechless. Like I don't know what you well, guys. Yeah, and I think the the story and the character and messaging in this movie they all tie together and they're all very well done. And by that. Within the first ten minutes, you already really care for the Ricci character, like you mm. feel for this guy. You, it it's almost like the first beginning, like the very first ten to fifteen minutes part of this film, almost act as its own short film, and mm. that takes you up to really uh, empathize with Ricci, and you're now you're hooked for his story, right? Mm-hmm. Really going through Italy, all the various obstacles uh, he and his son face along the way, you really feel those because you're already tied to this guy. But where it, this movie is kind of a rare example where it all ties together in the last what five minutes, mm-hmm. you understand what the story is really about and what the message of the story is when you watch the character you've been fighting with and rooting for. You watch him break. You watch the moral compass break, and you mm-hmm. see this happen, and it happens in front of his son, and this is all happening in post World War Two in a very bleak, dark time. And it's a very small story that's like, because that's hard. It's a guy who loses a bike and tries to get it back. It's a very small story, microcosm of how this country is feeling at that time. And it has to be one of the most powerful movies out there. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if it's not our story, that was a super powerful story to so many people at that time. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, Mm because it connects like, I mean, Another thing that makes this movie timeless is it connects with a theme that we can all appreciate, right? I mean, there there are obviously times in your life where you feel your moral compass like either slipping or shifting as you grow older or 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 breaking as it takes place in this movie, especially like, you know, you all you, like as you grow up, you realize like the consequences for certain actions, like and I'm sure like yeah, we've yeah. all like taken a lollipop out of a fucking gas station or whatever, uh, right? Yeah. And you, you understand that, like, as you grow older, you're, like, like 10, and you're, like, oh, yeah, if, like, I don't care what 
Target, what happens to Target? Like, I'll take their candy bars or whatever. And you, your moral compass shifts over time. And so I think that's what makes this movie really timeless is the thematic purpose of him losing his bike and the journey that it takes him on emotionally and mentally is so... It's it's not unique. It's done in a very unique way, but th- his journey and his like morality breaking uh, is is not unique to anyone. Like I mean, it's a very common like like hum- part of the human experience, and that's what I think is makes movies classic like this and can be watched so long. Like like Twelve Angry mm-hmm. Men, for example, it's the same thing, where you have. Uh, you know, a, a group of people that are like very willing to be like, eh, fuck it, like we, I don't, I don't care about this. I want to go to the, the Yankees game, and then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the, meanwhile, you're forgetting that you're talking about a man's life. It's the same yeah, thing here. Literally. It's just, it's so, literally. it's so poetic, yeah. no, and, and timeless, yeah. timeless thematics that can be explored yeah. for generations. Literally, now you hit it, you hit it right on the head. Like, I mean, yeah, just it's just like this man was desperate and tries to like live up to a certain i guess like moral standard uh, so to speak or like he tries to do the right thing you know he just tries to like look for a job blah blah and you know goes on a quest i guess in, in this case happens to be for a bike and by the end he just like he abandons everything because everything depends on the success of him finding this bike yeah. like and just almost like the lack of sympathy of this society, I guess, as a whole, just for like human plight, just like for human, I guess, empathy, you know, it's, it's, it's like a total feeling of helplessness, helplessness. I mean, and uh, I guess we're jumping around, but like that last shot, like of him, when they, I honestly, specifically when they catch him after he tries to steal that bike, you know, I'm like devastated. I'm like, Oh, because you want, you want him to get away. Like you, you want really him do. to get away, like because you understand what it means to him, and ultimately like who he is as a person. But like when then they catch him, and like obviously scolding him, like blah blah, and it's just devastating. And then like his son sees it, and is watching this, you know, and that's like something that's gonna stay with him, like blah blah. And it, it, it's just devastating. It's totally, you know. I guess like the idea of like uh, the whole object of a film or anything or any piece of media is to like elicit an emotion. And this just does the most perfect job I've probably ever seen of eliciting a specific emotion within uh, a person, uh, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Gut wrenching movie. Um, Gut wrenching to say the very least. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we kind of touched on the beginning its place in film history and film society. So I wanted to hit hit us and hit the audience with some fun facts here. It is on Roger Ebert's great movies list, the famous critic. It's on his list. Uh, yeah, Crazy. Roger. It's in the Criterion Collection, Spine 374. It's among the 1001 movies you must see before you die by Steven Schneider. And it is in the IMDb Top 250 uh, in spot 120, one spot above Taxi Driver, and one spot below Snatch. Crazy. Snatch? <laughs> that is where it's at. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I did stumble upon uh, a fun thing. I know for sure Aaron's going to get a kick out of this in my research. Um, so I was perusing the Criterion website, trying to really understand more about just the Criterion collection in general. So yeah, of course. 
few uh, picks from their their uh, catalog recently. Um, and there's an actress that has her top ten Criterion movies uh, on there right now, uh, and in her top ten, Bicycle Thieves was among them. Wow! And this actress mm. is Aubrey Plaza. Crazy. Oh yeah, I believe Crazy. it. Yeah, I it's in Aubrey uh, top ten Criterion movies, and it was shown to her by Michael Sarah. Oh yeah, come that, on, they that dated. tracks so much. Like right? all of the all of like the mental gymnastics that my brain just went through, like it all tied <laughs> itself up into like a nice little bow. That was like the perfect story. It's like you told mm-hmm. me a classic, <laughs> like like, like <laughs> Little Bo Peep or some shit. I don't know that. It just all the all the math there works. Like Aubrey Plaza yeah. got it. Okay, Michael Sarah showed her the movie. Yep. All right. Yep. That checks <laughs> off. That Min, that's so bold. funny. It, that that oh god, my, Michael Sarah is a funny guy. Um. Uh, so, so, quick side note, Spencer. Did you see uh, Charlie Day's uh, Criterion Collection recently? Very interesting picks there. Yeah, I saw his um, his spot there. Yeah, the Charlie Day was on a real uh, press tour kick because he had uh, Fool's Paradise coming out right after Super Mario Bros. So I feel like it, my YouTube and Instagram feed was just Charlie Day interviews nonstop. I'm here for it. I love that guy. His one on the Conan O'Brien show was really good. I'm a big Conan O'Brien. Guy. I, I refuse oh, yeah. to watch it. Oh, yeah. It was like the late night show. I refuse to watch them. It's just, uh, Conan O'Brien. Yeah, the podcast. Don't care. Podcast. Don't care. Conan O'Brien is He's a Jason. He's a Jason. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that to myself. He's, he's literally like the anti-late night. That's why he has such a cult following because he doesn't fall into the Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel elk. That's why he's a big deal. Conan Bryan's awesome, and you will not say another bad thing about him on this show. All right. I won't talk about him. Can I talk bad about Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, sure. Hey, shout out to him and uh, wait, was it was it him or the, uh, the other Jimmy that was on Kevin and Bean uh, as like yeah. it was Kimmel? Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, shout yeah. out uh, them when they were cool. Him and um, oh, what's the oh, guy's yeah. name? Adam Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla. Yeah, I still like Adam Kimmel. Carolla. I still like Adam Kimmel. Kimmel for, at for heart him. was cool and then became not. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy he, he definitely Kimmel made a transition. Good. Shout out to him on Kevin and Bean though. Got where you got to start. Yeah, the he's the, uh, I think, one of the prime examples of a sellout. Like, oh, yeah. this yeah. is he got yeah. started on radio, and then he was, like, sports radio guy, and then he was the man show guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once he got a late-night gig, he was like, oh, I can't, I can't be I can't be me anymore. Oh, uh, I can make this much money? Oh, yeah, I have my yeah. soul. There you go, Satan. Completely changed his, his comedy. Uh, it, it's just pandering, basically, is what he is now. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm so deeply offended that Aaron would dare compare him to the greatness that is Conan O'Brien. <laughs> Conan O'Brien is the uh, he's the ginger one, right? Yeah, he's awesome. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I told you got about Conan O'Brien. I, I know. He not, I, I I told you I'm done. My bad. My bad. OG. No, but um, as we're getting away from the more serious notes of this of this movie, I did want to bring up a few things I thought were like fucking hilarious. Um, the I don't want. And no one of them. Okay, well, we'll see if you get it right. Okay, it just it made me laugh, so I, I had to mention it. The screen wipe twenty years before fucking Star Wars, crazy, wild, just uh, uh-huh. just blew my mind. I was like, wow, nineteen forty eight. We already got that, huh? All right, shit. Yeah, check. Um, yeah, check, checked it off the list. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're welcome, fucking George Lucas. Twenty five years later, or whatever it is. Um, and also, um, the <laughs> the driver that said. The driver that said, "Movies bore me." 
was like, oh, yeah. dude, shut the fuck up. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> we're getting meta this early? 1948, yeah. they got screen wipes and they're being meta already? Shit. What are we doing here? What are we doing here, guys? <laughs> what, what did you Air- think I was going to say? I thought you were for sure going to bring up what I wrote down, the Catholic cross bit. When the oh yeah, they're escaping the that to you. <laughs> they escape the church, but then they stop to make sure they do the you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that part did kill me, but I didn't want to make fun of your religion too much, Spencer. But since you brought that up, as the resident Catholic of the group, um, do you think that they got they gave the church justice? <laughs> I don't like this. This joke makes no sense to anybody but you. To keep calling me Catholic, like it. <laughs> this brings you joy and nobody else. I don't understand. Well, speak for the you... population, sir. You understand? <laughs> but they don't know me. They don't know that I'm not. Like well, that's the whole. That's whoa, whoa, you're not. Whoa. whoa. So you're faking. So you're, you're faking? faking. You tell you're me I've been faking it this the whole t- this whole time. You're fake me. Catholic. I I want I want to say something. Aaron, you brought up Star Wars. This was a text I got from my father. Uh, okay. About a week ago. I was listening to one of your podcasts and I remembered this story and he uh, sent me uh, kind of a behind the scenes making of the Star Wars opening scroll. Yeah. Uh, have you guys seen how they shot that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with the, the glass well, panel and then the thing vaguely that remember. Back. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, geo. It's this right here. If you can tell. They oh, yeah. Okay. Text and put it under glass and rolled it. Yeah, um, and then they and then they just rolled it up at the bottom. And apparently they have a few takes where they just fucked it up really bad, uh, and that like to the point where they had to reprint out the whole thing. Like it's really it's just funny. Well, they had to do it. They also kept doing it in different languages. So even if yeah, they got yeah. the English one right, they'd be like, "All right, French," and then rewrite yeah. it again. Yeah, it's yeah. funny though. I, I I I do know about that. It's a uh, yeah. That's one of those things that every film teacher like that you have in college is like, "Hey, you want to hear something kind of crazy about <laughs> Star Wars? <laughs> oh boy, do I have a story for you!" And then you watch fucking Back to the Future, Goodfellas, um, something's got to give, and you watch those movies thirty <laughs> times over again. That's every film class you ever take in college. Yeah, actually, I got a little chuckle the other day. Very a good friend of mine. I don't want to be trashing her. Um, okay. <laughs> he uh, responded to one of our uh, Instagrams, um, and she slid up. She, are you guys gonna do Goodwill Hunting? And all oh, I got oh, was oh, Aaron. God. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Oh. You know what? You know what? We'll do Goodwill Hunting for her. Fuck. I think. It. I think it'd be fun. Wait, can yeah. you, I'll, I'll bleep it out. Do I know who it was? You say? No. Uh, you. You did not meet her. Um, in Texas. Funny, we were the same major and never. Okay, uh, we <laughs> same major. We never had a class together, which so was super yeah. random. Um, yeah. But we work at the same firm now, so that was oh, that's, nice. That's funny. Nice. Yeah. No, uh, but no, yeah. But you got you guys said it, man. They're, they, the thing is, like, it's such heavy material, but like they intersected the humorous like moments so well. Yeah. yeah. Just so like seamlessly, like like you said, like the little cross thing that made me chuckle. Uh, the one that like really like made me laugh was the lady like the fortune teller lady telling that guy yes. that he's like ugly like you're very yes. you're very ugly. brutal right oh. to his face and poor guy he just started crying he, he was in his <laughs> nice suit but he didn't yeah. understand you know he was not you know he's, he's got some you know 
got he got some work to do. Some inner work. You know, he wasn't getting it. <laughs> the the best part about that is that the guy was not that ugly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, he, he was a good looking yeah. dude. Beauty standards in nineteen forty eight were um, were, were incredible. Yeah, that was, was sky high. Hey, man had it tough, am I right, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah truly. I'm joking about there, that. There's that other other line that we really liked. Uh, they jump in front of your car and you go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> what type of justice is that? That part was so uh, good. Yeah, and then one one more, not a funny line, but a line that I made sure to write down because I thought it was really um, insightful. One: Why kill myself worrying when I'll end up just as dead anyway? Yeah, literally. And that that came. That came. That one was like right before they went to the uh, pizza restaurant, huh? Right before he gives his six-year-old a uh, glass of wine. It was. That's before. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That. But the thing is, like, he intersect. Like, it's like those great lines and those great little things of humor. Because, like, during that scene, it's like you come in and it's like it's actually like pretty like great energy. It's like vibrant. Like, blah blah. You go in, and then like they have that humorous uh, moment of like the other kid. He's like chewing his chewing his cheese, and he, you know, Bruno tries to do the same, like blah blah. But that it still cuts back to the dad, and you still it almost that whole scene almost felt like 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 a feeling of like a suicide. Like you know, he's like like he can't possibly afford this. Like you've seen this man go through like so he cannot possibly afford this meal. It's almost like like that moment like he's like really breaking. It's just like he, he's like man, fuck it, like. Like you know, it's it almost feels like a suicide. Like it's it's crazy. It's yeah, yeah. That's a, a very much a um a subtext scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a very well done one. Uh, yeah, this movie's great. I mean, from top to bottom, it's a great movie. Um, but what strikes out and what stands out in particular, it's got to be the cinematography. So with oh. that, let's kick it over to Doctor Aaron. Hit us with that slap shot. Got it. I think uh, I think one thing that we talked about that was really really captivating in this movie and really made me love it is a uh, um, is like the hopelessness and the lack of empathy that like the entire country of Italy it seems feels for this father and his son. Um, and so to kind of um, like captivate that feeling in one specific shot, I loved the composition when okay so the scene is he finally finds the guy that he presumes stole his bike right he's finally confronting him in that little Mm -hmm. like square like the courtyard area right and Mm -hmm. the entire like the entire like building comes out and it's like what the fuck is up and he's like he goes from being the hero in this scene of like i need to get this Mm -hmm. bike to save my family essentially he goes from that to being backed up into the wall and yelled at by a bunch of italian guys and it's Mm -hmm. the scene where they're pressing him up against the wall and he's just looking out over everyone terrified when he's like realizing like oh god no one is going to help me here there's not a single person Mm -hmm. here that's going to help me and like he you know he transitions to go in to get the police they go into the house they don't find the bike etc etc right but i think just that shot of him looking out over that crowd of people that just have like hatred for him for no reason for no apparent reason Mm -hmm. and just a complete lack of empathy i think it just captivates what the movie was trying to be uh, just completely it's just it's so excellent and it's just it captivated the entire theme of the movie for me and that's why i had to pick that for the slap shot oh you said it you said it and that and on and honestly that 
that whole part especially um, brought together like another one of like the the subtext, the sublines of the movie, so to speak, is that like when he catches the kid, I almost feel like like the whole structure of the thing, like you know, usually uh, a film like has like a hero and there's like bad guys, right? And like a western sort of story, like there's a hero, even like in like you know downtrodden, blah blah. blah and he catches the, there's like there's always a bad guy that's doing the evil, so to speak, like someone to blame, yeah. right? And normally, if this was a Western movie, he catches that guy and, you know, bring he, they can get brought to justice, so to speak, or whatever. He can get retribution. You, you, you can, like, end off on, like, a happy ending or, like, you know, things round out. Things get tied up. But here, it's like that kid, like, you, don't, you, 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 they, you can get, like, an empathy for the kid. Like, you know, you, you see the whole town. You see the mother, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, everyone's poor. You know, everyone's going through the same thing, so to speak. Like, you know, some a little bit worse uh, than others. But you see that everyone's just trying to do, like, the best they can. And ultimately, everyone is a victim. Like, everyone. Like, you see every side. Like, the, I can see the kid's side. Like, I saw the kid's side. Obviously, it was, like, you know, faking the, the little seizure thing. But, you know, everyone's, like, they're all, like, they all back them up because everyone's kind of, like, in the same spot. And yeah. it's less, like, they don't know this guy. Like and, and everyone's going through their own thing. You know, they, they back that kid up because he's one of them. They're all trying to look out for each other. You know, it, it's like, it's doggy dog, like, blah, blah. People are just trying to survive. Everyone yeah. is a victim in this this whole thing because of, like, how the society is, what this post-war context is, just how depressed, how just, again, like, there's no hope. There's no safety net. Like, you can die. Like, this, like, after that final shot of him walking into the crowd, he just becomes another one of the crowd. He could eat like he, he might've starved to death like this guy and his, and his, with yeah. his son, you know, there, there was really like no hope. And the, and I, again, I love, it goes back to that. I love how they, how they um, perform that subtext with all the imagery because he's always going almost like in and out of a crowd showing that this was this is like the story i think spence you said it this is the story of everyone during that time you know it was hard for everybody everybody was a victim it wasn't like there was like one bad guy blah blah somebody steals from you it's because like you know uh, like you saw with the dad he might just be his last option it might just be like that's that's how he survives that's how he can survive you know and then where is the moral line you know is that is that stealing now justified you know yeah because it makes you kind of think like Oh, at the beginning of the movie, you're like, oh, what a piece of shit. Why would he steal his bike? Like, that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. And then you see the process, basically, of why that guy ended up stealing the bike in the first place. It's, mm -hmm. you you know, it, when, when life constantly beats you down. Like, again, those are the moments where you're questioning your moral code. What will I and won't I do to save my family, to save myself, etc., etc.? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that's explored really well in the movie by like the circular angle, uh, you know, mm -hmm. of like, oh, like that's why somebody would steal it. Yep. Okay. We, we've, yeah. And, and, yeah. and again, it's not heavy handed. It's not, it, it's, it's, you're, you're watching a story and you extrapolate the meaning from it. It's not like, Hey, probably shouldn't steal. Wah, wah. Like it, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not like a fucking cartoon, you know, <laughs> like for mm -hmm. like children. Yeah. It's, no. it, it really like lets you come to the conclusion by yourself. Obviously it's, it's very obvious what like the point of 
the beginning stealing of the bike and the ending to stealing of the bike are supposed to represent but it's yeah. it's just it's so sophisticated for like 1948 like a like a film and like how it's done because like the right they have stories back then right like you have like great works mm-hmm. of writing right like a like charles dickens you know a, a, a yeah. minor dickens as we like to call it um <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, minor. that's called a callback by the way spencer great callback Aaron. great um, callback <laughs> Where was I going with this? Um, oh, yeah, they, they had stories and stuff, right? But it was really difficult for them for a long time for filmmakers to translate those stories into film. And, mm. and I think it, it remained that way until, like, I mean, even now it's, like, not, it, it's more like, oh, like, it's a little bit easier. But back then it's like, mm-hmm. how do we transition these words on a page into a real-life scenario where these people are mm. going to, you know, like sound alive because when you're reading you're doing a lot of that for the author you know you're, you're making up the scene inside your head and stuff like that and i mm-hmm. think that this movie is a great example of where people started to realize how you can actually transition a, a piece of media and a story into a physical uh, medium that is filmmaking mm-hmm. yeah uh very eloquent aaron beautifully okay. put thank you thank uh-huh. you I feel like we just gave our concluding thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll just do a quick one. This is a a small plot, right? It is a small story with big messaging and big implications delivered in an expert way. It, it was at never at any point was it heavy handed. Um, it was all delivered through subtext. Uh, it was all delivered through incredible performances, not just with your vocal delivery, but with the emotions that they are conveying, which for a cast of people who have never acted before is just, I I can't wrap my mind around that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a exquisitely shot film. Uh, You feel like you are in the streets of Italy. You feel like you are going through the struggle with everybody that's in this movie. Uh, It it manages to put some kind of quick barbs throughout there in terms of humor some really insightful messages um, as well, some really powerful lines. This is an example of a movie that I think is just a very, you watch it and you appreciate it for the art that it is. I said it in a podcast a very long time ago. There are movies and there are films. And we just saw a film. Uh, All right, Martin. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, with that being said, it, it it's one of those things where I watch it more as like a, a film lover uh, than as like a, a viewer, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, this was a, a depressing Saturday afternoon. Thank you for that. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I think it's great. It, it kind of, um, I don't know. For me, that spark wasn't there. Uh, but hold on, Gio, see the face. But it, it was really what Gio and I were talking about, or Aaron, when you were doing your business. Uh, how certain things can just strike you in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. So I'm trying to reserve like my my high echelon films for those where they like they hit me in my core and I can't quite figure out why. And they're technically like beautifully made. Um, so this hits that technically beautifully made. It doesn't hit that like uh, like I didn't. I saw this Saturday. We're recording this Monday night. I haven't really thought about it since I watched it Saturday. Um. So I give it, I'm going to give it eight and a half out of 10. It's my wow. score. Hmm. Okay. All right. Very interesting, Spencer. Um, one thing that I did that my only note that I really wanted to mention in this, that I 
completely forgot to, so I'll do it now. Um, dude, I didn't know they figured out like how to one hand ride a bicycle in a uh, in the 1940s. That's impressive to me. I don't know. Just didn't think that they would like think about that. You know, <laughs> like I, I, it just made me it made me chuckle to myself. Um, but anyway, I think I I think I put it best in this one note that I put down uh, like nearing the end of the movie was that simple stories can be so captivating and can hold so much more than the, like the sum of like than just what you're actually seeing. And I think that's movie to that's this movie to a T. Um it, it's mm-hmm. it's very technically proficient especially for the time. They have some really impressive camera work in it. Uh, again, like I said earlier, probably I probably couldn't replicate some of it to this day, right? And it's significantly easier uh for me to do it now. Um but yeah, and then like I said earlier, if I grew up in like the fifties and sixties, this would be a movie that I would watch and I'd be like, I want to make things like that. I want to make people feel like how I felt watching this movie. Mm. And I, I just, I think it's, I think it was great. I think they did an excellent job. Um, like this is a movie where I would be like, have been proud if I made it to like put my name on it. Um, Mm -hmm. and therefore, uh, I'm going to, I, but I will, I will kind of agree with Spencer though. It didn't really have that it factor for me. I actually have the same rating as you, Spencer, 8.5 out of 10, not, not an eight, but not, not quite a nine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys, you guys said it, you know, this was a great watch for me. Uh, this, it felt like it blurred the line between documentary and fiction, you know, almost seems to capture that actual fabric of real life, you know, uh, in every aspect. Again, it, it, the actors not being trained, the shot composition, everything. And especially how it plucks at the heartstrings almost without any melodramatic things. You know, it's a simple story. It's just a guy that lost his bike. And how they unravel that and unwind it is just so it's just like a masterstroke. I can't even I can't even fathom uh how they captured what they did here. And that final shot where they're lost in the crowd holding hands, it's devastating. You know, and it just finishes almost without any hope, but almost also inspiring in a way. Like they still stand tall, but it, it, it's, it's devastating. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe that feeling. But uh, yeah, again, how they captured that lack of sympathy, like we talked about, of a society, just a human plight, is insane. And yeah, it's all about it, it's it's all at once about that post-war Italy, that context, just even being alive at that time. But then it's also about that father and son storyline, which just blends together so well. And again, they even managed to sneak in those humorous moments at, all at the same time. Because that's what it is, you know. But yeah, again, this was a fantastic movie, a masterstroke. Uh, I think for me, it uh, it definitely it definitely hit, but not as like, you know. There's definitely others that have like hit harder for um, like, in whatever mm-hmm. feelings they were hitting, uh, most definitely. But I loved it. I really did enjoy it. Uh, I think for me, it would be a nine out of ten. Nine out of ten movie for me. Okay. Yeah. Very close yeah. scores this week. Very close scores. Hi. <laughs> I think, Gia, you, you touched on it very briefly. We were like, it's, you know, a story about a man losing his bike. And it hit me when you said that. I was like, people could watch this and just walk away thinking, 
it was, it was just about a man trying to get his bike back, and that could be their only takeaway. <laughs> and I, it, yeah. didn't, uh, it didn't hit me till then. I was like, wow, yeah, you could actually just walk away with that and none of what we've talked about for the last 45 minutes. And that person's favorite movie definitely is in the MCU. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, yeah, you're, you're talking about somebody that, like, looks at a painting and goes, huh, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. walks away. I like it has blue. That's a good color. <laughs> the blue there is. It's. I really like the the colors and the and and the yeah. <laughs> you know, I not to you know get too much of a tangent towards the end. I've been that guy in like other art forms. Like I took took this class in college. It was called Guitar Heroes. Um, it was not what I thought it was gonna be. Uh. You hear Guitar Heroes, what do you think that class is? Uh, guitar Hero, like the video game, 100%. Cool. Thank you, Aaron. Geo? You learned guitar. Okay. I thought it was going to be like 70s, 80s rock uh, and learning about the guitarist. Like, even even before like that. Jimi like, Hendrix, you talking? Yeah, I thought it would be like that. Okay. Uh, it was uh, guitar music in the uh, Baroque and Renaissance periods exclusively. That sounds it miserable. Awesome. Yeah, it was um and i remember he played like a bit like literally where it's just like super slow strings on a guitar from like the 12th century and he's like listen to how this note is a reflection upon the society of that era and i'm thinking like no like no. <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> like and so yeah, i've been shit. i've been that neanderthal um <laughs> In in that situation we were just dis- discussing, um, but yeah, that was a fun little stroll down memory lane for me. Shout out, uh, shout out that professor. Well, say his name. Say his name. No, I won't. I won't do that to him. Why not? <laughs> Come on, I'll bleep I it. I'll bleep it. I'll bleep it. Say it. Yeah, I don't trust you to bleep it. I'll bleep it. His name was Isaac Bustos. Okay, <laughs> he's got Dr. a dumb name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it. Till the next time, I'm Spencer. I'm Aaron. I'm Gio. Uh, And this has been the 35mm Colonoscopy Podcast telling you that the marinara is not always a red. They're on the other side. (laughs) Yeah. Are you you happy that I did that? Very. So happy. This, This is the thing now. We're letting the podcast know. It, that every time there's like an accent in any movie, uh, Spencer has to do it. It's a sun capacity. All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Count on it. Yeah.